So I want to share with you this morning, uh, and I want to preface what I'm going to share. Uh, one of the books that I read on vacation this year was Chasing Daylight uh, by, uh, Ir let's see, is it Irwin Raphael McManus? It must be impressive when you use all three names, right? Irwin Raphael McManus. So some of the things I'm going to share this morning are things that God laid on my heart as I was reading through some of that, some of his book. Well, what I want to do first is back up, and I've shared this with probably the whole church, probably more than once. You're probably getting sick of hearing it, but I love it. In 1992, I came home from work one day, and there was my wife, and she told me what I was going to do. Anybody ever have that happen to them? <laughs> she said, Mike, you're going to Russia. And I said, yeah, what the heck were you doing today, honey? She says, nope, you're going to Russia. I heard Josh McDowell on the radio talking about a mission trip to Russia, and you're supposed to go. And unbeknownst to me at that time, that was one of the moments in my life. You know, we have millions of moments in our lives. And each one of those moments contains an opportunity. And at that moment, we said, okay, and we did the practical things to allow myself and ended up, Cindy also went with, and we went to Russia. But the real significance of that moment to me is that moment when we decided to say yes in spite of all the logical reasons to say no, it started me down a path that... <sighs> led me into full-time ministry and led me down the path to begin to fulfill what I feel is the divine destiny or at least part of the divine destiny that God has for my life. And at that time, it didn't seem like that big a deal. I, I like an adventure. I said, Russia, Cal, usually I'd have to beg and plead and convince and, and here it's her idea. That was pretty cool. In the process of the ongoing or unveiling of that adventure into full-time ministry, there were a lot of opportunities in other moments. And I'd like to say I, I made the right choice in every one of those moments, but I didn't. Most of you know at least some of my testimony. Some of you have asked me how in the world did somebody who never went to seminary get into the ministry? How do you, how do you become a pastor? Well, there was a lot of moments in that, in that adventure for me. But some of the decisions that I made or the choices I made when those moments presented themselves were made out of fear, fear of rejection, fear of inadequacy. My insecurities came rushing to the surface, all kinds of things. And I made some, what I believe, were wrong choices. But God in his mercy allowed me to do that. And he did give me second chances. There was a time when the elders asked me at one of our meetings when we were without a pastor if I would consider becoming the pastor. There was that thing inside of me that said, yeah, you're supposed to go this way, but Cindy and I had enough fear for most of the planet, and we said no. And God brought in another pastor, and two years later, he had a vision from God that I was supposed to become the pastor. How weird is that? It's a miraculous thing that God did. And every time we have a choice, 
in those moments to fulfill our destiny or begin to fulfill our destiny. The title of my message is A Life of Adventure, Releasing the Power of a Moment. You and I all are called to a life of adventure as Christians. The Christian life should be an adventure. It's part of God's plan for every one of us. I can tell you this with complete confidence, unequivocally, that I believe that every one of you that know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior are called to a life of adventure. And I can say it with that much certainty because I know He created you that way. He put it in you. A life of adventure as a Christian. Now the word adventure... We all kind of define it a little differently, and I'm going to just define it the way Webster defined it, because he's an expert on everything, right? He says this, an adventure is an exciting or very unusual experience, a bold, uncertain, and usually risky undertaking. I want to read that last part especially. Bold, uncertain, and usually a risky undertaking. Adventure contains risk. Always risk of some sort. Man, when, when that moment and that opportunity to make a choice to, to become a pastor of a church, if you could only have been inside of my body to understand the fear and trembling and the insecurities, all my rejection issues just came flooding in like a, like a tsunami. But yet God's grace was there in the midst of it. And uh, he gave you guys the grace that have been here long enough to put up with the training that's ongoing. But everything in me wanted to say no. Everything in me that was fear and insecurity. To avoid the pain, to, to avoid the doubt, the disappointment. You know, we as a people almost get to the place where we numb ourselves to the exhilaration, the feeling that there is of living life to its fullest. We get to the place where we're satisfied and we're really not. We're just not miserable. <laughs> so we settle for less. As long as it's not a train wreck, okay. That is not the Christian life that Jesus died on a cross for. He died on the cross for us to live a life of adventure. Now, think about it. Let me ask this question, and you can try to answer it in your mind. How many of you would like to live a life of total insignificance? If you want to, raise your hand, and we will curse that demon in the name of Jesus. Okay, Matthew, quit it. <laughs> can you imagine at your funeral? Now, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about my funeral or my obituary, but... Can you imagine at your funeral, they start your obituary out by saying, here lies Mike. He's one insignificant man. <laughs> he pretty much didn't do anything worthwhile in his entire life, but it was safe. He didn't impact anybody else's life, not even his wife and kids, but they made it through. When he's gone and we put him in the ground and we throw some dirt on top of it, really, nobody's going to really notice. Gal, I hope that's not my obituary. And I hope it's not yours. We are called to a life of adventure, to live it to its fullest. So why not lead a life 
that fulfills our divine destiny? Well, I think a couple of things, and I'm going to share a few things. But one is, God and being a Christian has been so misunderstood and so misrepresented that people don't have anything in them that wants to be associated with God or being a Christian. God, to a lot of people, is nothing but a legalist. He's nothing but someone with rules and judgment and filled with wrath. And Christians, to a lot of people, are nothing but judgmental, critical hypocrites who are boring and have no fun. Now, both of those representations of God and of Christians are so far from the truth. But the world believes that, and sadly, so do a lot of Christians believe that. We are still living in those lies that for some reason we believe we have a total misunderstanding of God. God wants nothing but the greatest for you and me. He created you to be great in His kingdom. It doesn't matter where you live or what you do. You are created for greatness in the kingdom of God. You can make an impact. You have to make an impact. It's part of your destiny to make an impact for the kingdom. The reality is, Jesus has an unimaginable adventure for every one of you. Do you believe it? Or is Mike just trying to puff you up, make you feel better? Let me read a scripture. Ephesians 3, verse 20. says this, and I'm reading it from the message, so it gets elaborated a little bit. But in the message it says, God can do anything, you know. Far more than you could ever imagine or guess, or request in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing you around, but by working within us, His Spirit, deeply and gently within us. Beyond what we can imagine, beyond our wildest request, is the Bible true or is it? Can He do that or can't He? The answer better be yes. So what's the problem? Well, it's evidently not Him. It's something with me. What is it? You know, Jesus calls himself in the scripture the door a number of times. He refers to himself as the gate a number of times. And if you're a science fiction buff like I can be sometimes, it's almost like he's saying, I am the portal. I am the escape hatch. From what? I am the escape hatch. I am the portal. I am the gate. I am the door from a boring, mundane life, living in darkness, a dungeon that will lead to death. And if you want to get out of that and get into the light and get into the adventure, if you want to have eternal life, the availability of joy unspeakable, walk through the gate, walk through the door, a life of adventure. You know, even in the world, People that are apparently successful in worldly ways, the way our culture would try to define it. If you're successful, you better have a big house and drive a big car. Well, I'm 0 for 2. And your bank accounts better be really big. I'm 0 for 3. And I could go on and on and on. And I could walk around saying, boy, what a failure. God, you called me into this thing? No, that's not how he determines success. All of the things that we look at like that are so temporal, so temporary. What God wants us to be doing and where where we are going to be deemed successful is in eternal things. 
and thus fulfilling our divine destiny. It's going to look different for every one of us. Every one of us. But however different it looks, it should be an adventurous life. It should be an exciting life. When those moments in our lives come. You know, we have another scripture that that should be familiar to most everybody that walks through the doors of this church more than once because it's part of our, our mission for the church, our vision for the church. And it's in John 10, verses 9 and 10. He says, I am the gate. Anyone who goes through me will be cared for, will freely go in and out and find pasture. The thief is only there to steal, to kill, and destroy. I come so that they can have real and eternal life, more and better, a better life than they ever dreamed of. What kind of life do you dream of? What kind of life do you dream of? If your dreams are all of the worldly nature, trying to fit into our culture, trying to, to be successful in the world's eyes, those dreams aren't going to cut it. They're not important to God. Now, I'm not saying He doesn't bless us with amazing, amazing things in the natural. But the dreams that we should be have are those dreams that God places in us. Dreams that will take us into fulfilling our destiny in Christ. That's what he wants to do. But as strange as it seems, we come, sometimes find it hard to trust him all the time. He's trying to lead us out of the dark dungeons we've created for ourselves and make a way for us to run around free in the light. And yet we resist. The moment that we respond positively to the invitation that God puts on your heart. You know, if you're saved, God drew you. He wooed you. He invited you by His Spirit. That is a divine moment. That moment where you can make a choice to accept the invitation, to walk through the door into eternal life, to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, to say, you know what, I am a sinner. There needs to be a a sacrifice made on my behalf, and Jesus was that sacrifice. And he died for me, but he was raised from the dead. And he offers me that gift. And he says, walk in. I'm the door. The moment, that divine moment, the moment you make the choice to say yes to that gift, that offer, you have walked from darkness into light. And the adventure of your life is waiting right there for you. And it's a journey. It's a journey that will continue to the day we see Jesus face to face. But that moment, that divine moment, we're translated into that new realm of living. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14. Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone that so those who receive his new life will no longer, no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ, who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. And at one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How different we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, and new life has begun. The escape hatch. The portal, Jesus, the door, the gate that we walk through. It's not about anything that you do or can do. You know, there was always this discussion between the Pharisees, you know, and the circumcision and the uncircumcision. 
Bottom line was summed up pretty good in Galatians 6.15. It says, it doesn't matter whether you've been circumcised or not. In other words, it doesn't matter what you've done. How many good things you've done. It doesn't matter. It says what counts is whether you've been transformed into a new creation. And the only way you are transformed into a new creation is accepting the invitation of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And the moment you do that, you're a new creation. You know, the problem is there's still a lot of junk that's got to be removed. Our mind has got to be changed and renewed by the Word of God. But we are a new creation if you believe what the Word of God says. And in this new life, this new creation, we discover a realm of living that we did not know existed. We discover a realm of living in peace instead of worry and anxiety. A realm of joy instead of despair and oppression. Not based on the external circumstances, but based on what's changed inside of you as you become this new creature in Christ, as you've been born again by the Spirit of God. When this happens, we are now in a relationship with the one who is the source of all love, all life, all freedom. That's what you call a divine moment. If you've accepted Jesus Christ, you took and made the right choice in that divine moment. If you haven't accepted Jesus Christ, this probably is a divine moment for you. And your choice, you can choose it or reject it. It's one thing about God. He gives us a free will, even though he woos us, draws us, and he wants in the worst way for us to accept the gift. But he won't make us. Moments. Moments in time. You know, when I think of time, I watched a couple video clips this week, seeing if I wanted to use them in the message. And I don't know if any of you have seen the time machine. I think it was remade a few years ago now. But I watched that time machine. and I sometimes think, gal, time created by God. Is he really interested in time? Of course he is. He created it. You know, when you read the New Testament, especially the Gospels where Jesus is walking on the earth, he was very, very, very aware of the time. There was an urgency in his life, even as he walked in peace. And I'm thinking, why such an urgency? I mean, he's eternal. I believe there was an urgency in him. Every moment mattered to him because he knew the choices that he would make in the moment were creating the future. He knew that the choices, the things that he was doing, every moment was critical. You know what? And every moment is critical for us. Every, every moment offers the opportunity to make a choice. And those choices determine our future. You ever thought, if you've watched a movie like I watch, and some of you are thinking, boy, Mike needs help. I like those movies. It would, if everyone wanted to get in a time machine... Have you ever wanted to go back to the future? I watched a few of those video clips so I couldn't use them in church if I wanted to. But I, wouldn't that be cool to go back to the future? To be a time traveler? How many of you would like to be a time traveler? Come on, be honest. Uh, the rest of you are going to be disappointed. We are time travelers. Every one of us are time travelers. We are traveling into the future. Every moment that ticks on that clock, we are time travelers. We can't go backwards, but we are going to go forwards. 
We are going to go forward in time and the moments that we face every day and the choices attached to them are determining our future. It's amazing. He lets us be involved in determining our future. That's another one of those what were you thinking God moments for me. You're trusting us to make the right choices. The power of a moment. The picture I had on the opening slide was of an atomic explosion. And the reason I used that picture was this. The Greek word, one of the Greek words that we get the English word moment is atomus. A-T-O-M-O-S. Atomus. And when you look at that word, you don't have to be a, a linguistic specialist to understand. We probably got the word atom from that word. We probably got the word atomic from that word. And we did. And in that word, that's one of the words that we use to translate to moment. There's a neat picture there that has at least two perspectives that I was looking at. And in the book that I was reading, Chasing Daylight by McManus, he pointed this out. When we look at the word atomus or atom, or the word moment. Two significant pictures for me. One, the size of an atom. Very, very, very small. We don't even see them. The similarity to a lot of the moments in our life, they can come and they can be so subtle that we don't even see them. Or they seem so insignificant that we choose to ignore them. That tiny moments that we have opportunities to make choices. And then on the other side, we have that word atomic that we associate with the atomic bomb and that disproportionate amount of energy released from the atom in comparison to the size of the atom. What a picture that is to me of the moments in our life. There is a power to be released in the moments of our life as we make the choice. And the choice we make helps determine our future. So what prevents us from making and seizing the moment? When I say seize the moment, it almost sounds like the worldly cry, live for the moment, live for the day. Well, that's true if it's a divine moment. The world even steals this concept. Why wouldn't we live for the moment? I'm going to share a few points, and I think these are the most, maybe the most important things I share about this morning is, why don't we live for the moment? Well, first of all, you ever noticed they seem to come at the most inconvenient of times? Thanks, God, but not now. You know, when Cindy decided that she felt the Lord was prompting that we should, I should go to Russia. That was an inconvenient moment. Our life was pretty good by then. We'd gotten through most of the garbage. We'd built our home on the other side of the lake. I had a great job as a sales manager for Relco. Three kids, things were going pretty good. Don't bother me. God, you'll mess this thing up. It wasn't a convenient moment. You know, even the miraculous can show up, but it shows, they show up at such an inconvenient time. 
I guarantee you this. The Bible says, you know, we might actually entertain angels unaware. I guarantee you, if you get to entertain an angel, it's going to be at a really inconvenient moment. I know it will be. That's just the way God works. Inconvenient. Another way, another reason that we don't seize these divine moments, your calendar, like my calendar, is filled up with all kinds of mundane and ordinary things that we think really have to be on my calendar. And God's divine moments, there just isn't room in my calendar. I mean, after all, I'm a pastor doing your work, God. What are you thinking? I, golf is God's work, too. I just want you to know that. <laughs> I got one amen. Darren, where were you? There you go. Thank you. Thank you. You know, we can even become irritated with God. God, I haven't got time. How much more can I do? I can't squeeze this in. I sometimes get a phone call from somebody and say, Mike, have you got time to meet with me? I look at my calendar and, and I go, no. And I, and I ask Cindy Barnes and she goes, what are you thinking? And I usually say yes. But some of those yeses are the most important things. They don't change somebody else's life. They change my life. But there wasn't room in my calendar. I mentioned this before, but a third reason is a wrong view of God and not understanding how he works. That will definitely affect whether we grab and seize those divine moments. If we don't understand that he's a loving God and he desires nothing but the best for us and he wants us to walk out our divine destiny, if we think he's some kind of angry God waiting to just slap our wrists every time we mess up, we will miss it. And if you think you've figured out how God works and you put him in a nice, tidy box, you're going to miss those moments because you haven't got a box big enough for the way God works. You just don't. The fourth one is the one I wanted to stress because I really felt this is the one the Lord said, Mike, this is a big problem in my people. And it was this. We aren't prepared for the moment at hand that one that presents itself right now because we are stuck in a moment from our past or a series of moments from our past. We are stuck. We are believing the lies of the enemy. We are living in those moments of guilt and shame and condemnation, fear of rejection, insecurity. We're living in those moments back there. And although we're time travelers, we can't go back there. But we can go and determine how the future is going to be. We need to get rid of that garbage that we're clinging to. Now, if you're easily offended by a beautiful picture, just plug your ears for the next few seconds. I was down at Woodstock going through the fifth step with someone at the treatment center, and they have a full-time chaplain, Carl, an older gentleman. And he uses this picture. I apologize in advance if you're easily offended. He says, all that junk, all those old moments, those past moments. He says, it's like when you walk into the bathroom and you go to the bathroom and you make a large deposit in the toilet. He says, then you stand up and you stand there and just look at it. And look at it and look at it. And the whole time you're disgusted because of what it looks like. Smells like. I said, plug your ears. If you opened them, don't do it yet. 
And the whole time, all you got to do is reach out your hand and flush it, and it's gone. That's what all that crap in your... <laughs> that was an accident, Owen. I'm sorry. That's what all that stuff from your past is. And everything's provided to flush it through Christ, the work of the cross. You have been set free. You're a new creature in Christ. You've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Quit looking at all that old stuff. (laughs) Flush it. Get rid of it. I believe that's what holds us back more than anything else are those old moments that trap us. We hang on to those. We forfeit our future that God has for us. And the enemy wants you to hold on to them. He will keep bringing them back and bringing them back and bringing them back. He'll be doing it in the thoughts in your mind and He will bring along people, unknowingly or unwittingly, I hope most of the time, but they will do or say things that give you an opportunity to go right back to that toilet and stand and look at that again. Don't do it. Divine moments. Choices. Release the power of the moment. Make the choice. I remember a phone call I got a number of years ago. I was sitting in the church office and the phone rings. And I'm talking to this person and I said, you know, the good thing is we have hope. And they they said on the other end of the line, really, Mike, you believe there's hope? I said, absolutely. That's because I believe who God is. And with God, there's always hope. And when I look at the Scriptures... I see that in Christ there is always a future and there is always a hope. No matter how bad you messed up, no matter how many bad choices you made, there is hope and a future. You know, when you look at Israel, we've just finished going through the story. Here is Israel, God's chosen people. I mean, it was like they'd get up here on this this high point with, with God and it was like they couldn't stand it. And down the roller coaster would go. It was just unbelievable. And no matter what was going on, God always held out a future and a hope. And it's probably stated most clearly to me in Jeremiah 29, 11. It says this, I know the plans that I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. That's God's plan. A hope and a future. And when these divine moments come, we need to be ready to make the right choice. We're traveling forward in time whether you want to or not. The option's not good. But we can't go backwards. Now studying history, studying history and looking back at history can be a powerful tool to propel us or launch us into the future if we learn from it. But living in the past is an absolute enemy of the future. Guaranteed. Living in the past. I want to share a quote out of this book from McManus. The book is titled Chasing Daylight. And I want to preface reading this quote and get you thinking this way. What is the most spiritual thing you're going to do today? What's the most spiritual thing you're going to do today? Go to church? Got up early and did your devotional? Sang? 
Maybe you even raised your arms. Here's what he says, and I really like this. It's thought-provoking. He says this, the most spiritual activity you engage in today is making choices. What we all call spiritual worship, prayer, meditation, they're there to connect us with God and to prepare us to live. All of those things, they're great things, but they're designed to prepare us to live. And to live, we make choices in the moment. You know, when Adam and Eve were put in the Garden of Eden, God really only gave them one choice, right? Everything is yours. Enjoy it all. I'm going to come and walk with you in the cool of the day. It's going to be awesome. But, because when I look at my life, and I'm guessing yours is similar, it seems like, my gosh, there are so many choices. It's so confusing. And it seems like no matter what I do, I make the wrong choice. I wish there was only one choice. Well, that was called paradise, and they made the wrong choice on the one choice. It shouldn't be that hard to make the right choice. And I'm not saying that from a natural perspective, because I, I don't make the right choice a whole lot of times. But from God's perspective, listen to these words. In Deuteronomy 30, starting in verse 11, he says, Now what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. And I sometimes want to go, okay, really? And then he goes on and says, it's not up in heaven, so you ask who will ascend to heaven and get it and proclaim it to us so we can obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth, in your heart, so that you may obey it. In other words, it's in you. If you're a born-again believer, if you accepted Jesus Christ, it's in you to know the right choice. Sort of what he's saying is, come on, it's not that hard. And then he goes on. I'm glad he doesn't leave it there. He says, see, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and, and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his way and to keep his commandments, decrees and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to possess. Those green pastures for all of us. He says, but if you, your heart turns away and you're not obedient, and if you're drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, those idols in our life, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life. There it is. You're facing the choices. Choose life. God's word brings life. Obedience to his word brings life. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life. The choices we make chart our course and determine our destination. And we have endless choices. And that's a good thing because we get second and third chances to make the right choice.
Let's close in prayer. Lord, I pray that as I've even shared these words, I pray, Lord, that if there's someone here who has not made the right choice to choose life in Jesus Christ, has never accepted him as his Lord and Savior, Lord, I pray this would be the moment that they would open their hearts to you and to your offer of salvation through Jesus, confess their sins and accept Christ as their sacrifice, that they might enter into that new life that you have for them. And for many of us here, Lord, I pray that as we've been living our Christian life in frustration, unsatisfied, that we would rediscover the adventure that you have for us. God, that we would discover the exciting destiny that we have in Christ. That we would grab a hold of the peace and the joy, the hope and the future that you have. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that the enemy's voice would be silenced and we would hear your voice clearly. God, I pray for each one of us that sometimes feel trapped in the mundane and the ordinary, that we would look for those moments, those opportunities to make a choice that will change everything, that will change our lives, our families' lives, and the lives of people we come in contact with. Lord, give us the grace to make those choices. Draw us to your word by your Holy Spirit that we would be filled with your word and that we would always choose life. Lord, I pray now that as we go out of this place today, we would walk in the newness of that life. God, we would be, it'd be like our radar would be up watching for those opportunities, those moments. That we would trust your Holy Spirit, walk in obedience to your leading, and that you would keep us safe from all harm. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.